Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the sketchy downtrodden bar on the dodgy side of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who have all signed a magical contract to be here. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Uh, apparently, as a, failing as a lawyer, because I totally don't remember the terms of that contract right now. <laughs> if you have a copy, I'd love to see it. Don't worry about it. Oh, it's You've fine. got it in DocuSign somewhere. Uh, no, no, well, that list is getting long. <laughs> Um, so we are on the 16th book or 16th chapter of the fifth book of Harry Potter, much as I wish there were 16 books, um, mm. in the hog's head. And, um, we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid fire recap, BJ's wizard wheezes, newbies notes with Spencer. Uh, we award house points and then there are questions and, and queries. Um, but we actually have a sort of like straightforward chapter here for once. Sort of. It is. And I'm curious, Sarah, you've had a bit of a rough run when it came to your estimates for your recaps lately. It's not Is this great, the chapter yeah. where you redeem yourself? We're we're going to see. Um, it, it's a shorter recap. I didn't, I was not, we'll see. Um, okay. I just wanted to, to mention that book 13, by the way, is uh, port key locations and identifying signs. <laughs> and is Spencer's favorite. Hey. Uh, yes. Yep, I, I so those moments where I can't tell if you're joking or not, because totally, yeah, I would happily read that book. <laughs> I feel uh, like there's uh, definitely a sort of Percy written manual on it somewhere. Overlap between me and Percy, not minimal. Not mm-hmm. minimal at all. Nope. It's, it's there. A, it's a distressing Venn diagram. <laughs> so, Sarah, how long do you think, do you have a bet on this one or just under two minutes? What are you I'm going to put a bet on because why not? Um, I'm actually mm-hmm. going to bet low. I, I'm going to go with 144. 144. All right. Well, I... Have not lost the stopwatch, so it is here. So when you are, whenever you are ready. Things return to somewhat normal over the next few weeks before Hermione brings up defense lessons again. Harry actually has been thinking about it. He's still not sure, but Hermione recounts all the impressive stuff he is actually able to do, even if there is luck involved. Harry um, doesn't think anyone will want to learn from him, but he finally agrees to go to a meeting their first Hogsmeade weekend. As the weekend approaches, Harry's more worried about Sirius's silent silence. Ron doesn't blame him for wanting to get out, but Hermione is concerned about the Ministry spotting him. They're still glad to get away from the stress of Hogwarts, though, and head off past Filch, who's sniffing Harry suspiciously. Harry recounts the story of the Owlery, but Hermione is most interested in who tipped Filch off about dung bombs. In Hogsmeade, they can't hold the meeting at any of the usual places in case Umbridge's spies are out, so they go to the Hogshead Bar, which is, a sketchy, which is sketchy as hell. Uh, but Hermione's checked. They're not breaking any rules. They get butterbeers and settle into wait. A few minutes later, over two dozen people appear, including Cho. Everyone gets a butterbeer and looks expectantly at Harry, who panics a bit. Hermione stutters through an intro about taking matters into their own hands to, yes, pass their exams, but also because Voldemort's back. There's some grumbling at this. One kid demands proof, and Harry has to step in, with actually a pretty lucid response about seeing Voldemort come back, but that he's not going to describe what happened to Cedric. You believe it, or you can leave. Uh, then the questions get to the cool stuff Harry does, a Patronus and the Basilisk, and Cho brings up all the Triwizard stuff. 
Finally, everyone's agreed. Uh, they all want to take lessons from Harry. Fred and George had to threaten the one kid, but whatever. Hermione lets slip that they believe Umbridge actively doesn't want them trained, which stuns everyone but Luna, who believes Fudge is raising a private army of heliopaths. Anyway, then there's uh, the issue of scheduling and where to meet, but for the moment, everyone signs a contract to keep this whole thing secret and then disperses. Harry, Ron, and Hermione debrief, and Hermione lets slip Ginny is going out with the boy she came in with, which flabbergasts Ron. Hermione also notices that Cho couldn't stop staring at Harry the whole meeting, so really a good day all around. Oh, underestimated. Sorry, Sarah. Underestimated my time. <laughs> But did you get that, that under two? I did get it under two. Um, um, you didn't suffer quite as much from... Uh, Hermione's pregnant pauses. Um, <laughs> no, but there was some stuttering that happened. So, <laughs> mm, mm. Felt, yeah. felt very, it felt, uh, really got me in the feel of the chapter. Bravo yes, with it. excellent, great. Um, and uh, to BJ, be fair, about? one of my oh, favorite sorry. things uh, about this segment is our readers can't follow along because I do get rid of silence. Not that there's much in your recap, but whenever you you have a little <laughs> pause that does get taken out. And so I, I have no idea how how the actual time that this takes in the actual podcast relates to what you have done. Um, there are no receipts. We don't bring the receipts here. Exactly. I, I write them up. We only have receipts. We don't have what actually was yeah. charged. Um, and, and it works out well that way. Perfect. Well. BJ. Fine. BJ, what are you thinking um, about? I, I, as part of a wheeze, and uh, Sarah, you're going to hate this. Um, when I thought that we were uh, recording on a different day, the the time in that day to read was very cramped, and it happened to be mm. when I was traveling in the car with my girlfriend, and she put in the request that I read it to her. And mm. much to her dismay, and I'm sure yours, Sarah, I pronounced uh, it Hermione. Um, oh no! And and it was great. Did you do voices? Tell me you did voices. Absolutely not. Oh. <laughs> much, much too uh, much work for this. Uh, but I, this was also a like a pretty Hermione heavy chapter. Yes. Uh, for you to be mispronouncing her name throughout the whole thing. Uh, yes. Um, it, it 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 gave me joy. Um, Great. So, Sarah, you, you did uh, an impressive amount of work with your recap. So, Spencer, I'm going to put you first up on the chopping block. Oh, God. Um, okay. I would like you to read the second sentence in this chapter. Starting Harry's detentions? Yep. Uh, and I, I'm presuming highlighting each pronunciation point per usual? Uh, uh, if you would. Each punctuation point. Okay. Uh, Harry's detentions with Umbridge were finally over. Uh, first parentheses. He doubted whether the words now etched in the back of his hand would ever fade. Close parentheses. Semicolon. Ron had had four more Quidditch practices and not been shouted at during the last two. Semicolon. And all three of them had managed to vanish their mice in transfiguration. Open parentheses. Hermione had actually progressed to vanishing kittens. Close parentheses. Comma. Before the subject was broached again. Comma. On a wild comma. Blustery evening at the end of September. Comma. When the three of them were sitting in the library. Comma. Looking up potion ingredients for Snape. Did not realize in the moment how long that was going to be. Yeah, I, it, it, it was a little unexpected. And, and when, again, when reading this out loud, it's just, oh, God, where's the period? When's it going to come? What's ha Why is there more punctuation? What are we doing Stress. now? Stress is real. Yes. Um, there, there are entire universes contained in these sentences, BJ. Yes. <laughs> you know the new James Webb telescope pictures mm, coming out? That mm. is, we, these are it's the trying. sentences of yes. the... <laughs> 
Um, How will NASA react if they zoom to the edge of the universe and just see Harry Potter there? Just I mean, this is my colon. This is the angels dancing on the head of a pin kind of thing. It's, you know, how many semicolons and other punctuation marks can you fit in a sentence? The answer is it's infinite, because why not? It's just an artistic choice. If you've had to stop, you aren't trying hard enough. Um, so is more than a pen pal a wand pal? Because that's what Crumb wants to be with Hermione? Sure, BJ. Sure. Um... I'll do this sentence, uh, since I don't know exactly where it'll be in the book, um, but we we do have uh, what I believe is a goofy sentence paragraph. Uh, if you do want to follow along, it does, it's uh, probably four or five actual pages in. It's first came Neville with Dean and Lavender, starting the mm. paragraph. First came Neville with Dean and Lavender, comma, were closely followed by Pravati and Padma Patil, with open parentheses, Harry's stomach did a backflip, close parentheses, Cho, and one of her usually giggly girlfriends, comma, then open paren on her own and looking so dreamy that she might have walked in by accident, close paren, Luna Lovegood, semicolon, then Katie Bell, comma, Alicia Spinnett, and Angela Johnson, comma, Colin and Dennis Creevy, comma, Ernie McMillan, comma, Justin Finch Fletchley, comma, Hannah Abbott, comma, and a Hufflepuff girl with a long plait, down her back, whose name Harry did not know, semicolon, three Ravenclaw boys, uh, he was pretty sure were called Anthony Goldstein, comma, Michael Corner, comma, and Terry Boot, semicolon, Ginny, comma, followed by a tall, skinny, blonde boy with an upturned nose who Harry recognized vaguely as being a member of the Hufflepuff Quidditch team, comma, and bringing up the rear, comma, Fred and George Weasley with their friendly Jordan, comma, all of whom were carrying large paper bags crammed with Sanko's merchandise. It, it and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> exactly. And to be fair, mm -hmm. it is a list of people walking in the door. <laughs> but still. Mm -hmm. um, those were the more impressive ones other than Hermione talking, uh, which... Mm -hmm. Well... It, it's purposely meant to be a bit jabbery. It, yes, it's very uh, understandably so. Um, I will say that I did not expect you, Spencer, to have something in so much common with Ron of all of the characters in in this book and in, in, in this <laughs> chapter. Uh, but you very definitely chunter. Um, and I had to look this mm. word up because... Uh, what on earth is this? But it is basically continue to have an argument and mutter under your breath. Oh God, <laughs> yes. I, how did I not know that word? It is my watchword. It is. It is a British turn of phrase, basically, uh, to in talk low chapter... in an inarticulate manner or mutter. I assume it sort of has to. It's probably some sort of weird portmanteau type thing. In, in this chapter, is it used? I don't have it right in front of me. Is it used in the sort of sense of like a chuntering on? Yeah, Ron continued to chunter under his breath all the way down okay. to the street. As got it, BJ. I feel like you've just given me the opportunity to better understand myself by now knowing that <laughs> word exists. Uh, I do what I can. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a little disappointed that the easy access does not have an etymology, and I did not look that up ahead of time, mm -hmm. but. It's probably, well, it was used at some point in, like, the 70s, and it's fine. <laughs> if I can quickly get to the OED, I'll let you know, but for the moment. 
anything further to wheeze about, BJ? Um, I think we're we're good. We're good there. Um, if I do come up with an etymology shortly, uh, I will please let you know. All right. Uh, well, you, you made a reference to it, and you tried to sell it, but I find the fact that Victor, there's a pen pal, is utterly adorable, uh, and probably what he actually wanted most in the world. Because from what we got of him, he comes across as a very lonely person, so the fact he has somebody that not only he can talk to, but wants to talk to him, is probably everything for him. Mm-hmm. So I, I was happy to see that. He was a, he was a, an unfairly maligned dude, and he actually came across as being pretty pleasant, so... A happy ending for him is all is all is all the wonder. Do we think that he's maybe one of the few non-evil wizards out there? I mean, he's, he's a perfect spy for that school. <laughs> uh, Hermione saying that Umbridge wouldn't be happy to find out what they're doing is one of the bigger understatements we've mm. ever had in this series of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also adore adore her optimism that oh, I check the rules and it's totally okay for us to be here. Like, Umbridge is going to give the slightest shit to find out that they're assembling at this place to engage in, from her view, illicit preparatory activities. I mean, that but not illicit. Point. Very clearly not illicit. It, it, it is completely <laughs> by the rules. And of all people, to be careful of the language that you use, Spencer, I'm very disappointed in, in yeah, this. They, they, they say that we're doing this according to the rules, but yeah totally don't tell anyone we're doing this <laughs> and also umbridge can't know no but yeah i mean all this is ob- completely above board and fine please sign your name on this document that's gonna be great that you will never tell anyone yeah. um can i break in real fast with a chunter update please uh chunter was chunter first on. used the first recorded use of a derivative of this was or i suppose an antecedent of this was in 1599 from Master Broughton's letter answered, your heifer must wander alone and chunner out a heathenish conceit of descending into the world of souls poetically. Wait, th- th- there's a word that originated in 1599 and it's not by Shakespeare? It is, it is not. Okay. Uh, and then <laughs> chounter to talk pertly and sometimes angrily was first used in 1699. Hmm. And then what? we specifically have chunter to express discontent about discontent about trifles, 1788. I was going to say, and very amusingly, apparently D.H. Lawrence brought this back into being in his 1921 in yeah. essay, See in Sardinia, uh, mm-hmm. but it was labeled obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate that. That's our, our little digression. Please, Spencer, continue. Well, as much as I enjoyed that, I do not enjoy Hermione's continued efforts at elf manumission. Uh, Hermione, it's wrong. You need to accept this. You need kind of their consent before you just foist clothing upon them. Now, I have no thoughts whatsoever that this is working. I'm going to be very curious to find out when the shoe is going to drop and where exactly it is dropping. Not with the house elves, I would imagine. No, the clothing has not fallen on any house elves at any <laughs> point in the story. I have got no confidence at that at all. But, regardless... It's wrong, Hermione. You need to stop. I mean, Dobby could just have the most outrageous wardrobe at this point, and I feel like that's the most reasonable thing to have happened. The funniest might be if somebody forced Creature to take some clothing. I I don't know what would happen. I think... He might die. He might just actually die. Or try and kill Sirius. Like, it you know, really yeah. inflict some harm on somebody? Because it's very clear that 
house elves are basically more powerful than wizards. And oh, at, least, oh, at least children wizards. Uh, I thought that we we had some indications that at least uh, Lucius Malfoy did not deal easily with Dobby. Well, to be fair, to you're right, yes. Which do, did demonstrate that Dobby does have a great deal of power. I think it's a little unclear just because um, Lucius Malfoy was kind of taken... Sure. Um, by surprise but, in that yeah. moment. So, like, it's a little tricky to say in, like, a head-to-head, but... Um, and Dobby could your be... Your point the, about them the having a lot of powers. Yeah. Well taken, yeah. Well, yeah. but Dobby could also be the most powerful house elf in the right, land, we don't and we, we have no idea. Yeah, yeah. We need more data points here, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you do with your, your old socks, getting new data points. I found I found out this morning I've got seven socks. I can't identify where the other sock is for them. Uh, so, you know. Are they all left socks? I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and if y'all would like to check in your houses and confirm whether there's any spare socks around, please let me know. Uh, I will give Harani credit, though, that, uh, yeah, Harry, you really should have focused a little bit more on how Filch knew that you were there at that time and came running up. This isn't something you just laugh off. This is a this is a useful data point to explore further because it implies things, as we previously discussed. This is the book in which Hermione notices things happening in the wider <laughs> world that no one else does. <laughs> that, that has been Hermione's role. It was already her role, but in this book, she's the one that's realizing the plot. Mm-hmm. She's got the cliff notes handy. Uh I adore how stereotypically dodgy this pub is. I like the way they use the word dodgy. It is a wonderfully dodgy pub. I also absolutely love the implication that Flitwick is a patron. (laughs) (laughs) Flitwick, what what do you think about this place? Oh yeah, great place. Bring your own glass, though. You know, just, it'll be fine. Yeah, he has a system. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hermione also, now I've confirmed, is one of those bastard people that just says, oh yeah, I'm bringing just a couple guests be fine just a couple people that's all it is treating a couple as just a vague group indicator like it is like like the, that that is the definition of that word in the english language i would completely share harry's anger here when how many 25 26 how many people walk in the room when she said two it was it was ultimately 25 outside of our our main three that's not okay that is not accurate information he went there under false pretenses uh, I'm also, but he was also worried about no one showing up too. So, like, I, make up your mind, dude. Two, two is the number he was prepared for. He'd emotionally, you know, readied himself for that. There's no amount of preparation that 25 factored in. Uh, I am going to cast some aspersions at Harry, though. That in his list of people that are there, he name drops everybody other than the Hufflepuff. Like. <laughs> Even the Ravenclaws, like, oh, the three Ravenclaw dudes, I wonder who they are. Oh, yeah, here are their exact names. But the Hufflepuffs, they're there. You know, they're present. They're accounted for. Bastard. They didn't bring snacks, uh, so they're just a Hufflepuff and a useless one at that. <laughs> Absent catering Hufflepuffs have no value in the universe. <laughs> I mean... Uh, I, I like that Hermione's way of starting this conversation, shut up, uh, is that... She basically does the same thing that Gandalf does when she starts re- reading the Ring of Power, where she just basically opens with, oh yeah, Voldemort's back, just to quiet the room and get everybody's attention. It's practically a crime. I'm amazed the patrons at the place don't start throwing shit at her. But it is a very effective way of getting everybody to shut up and listen now, please. Uh, 
in terms of those people that are there, one of the Hufflepuffs that isn't named until he says what his name is, Zachariah Smith. Did I write mm-hmm. that down right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a confrontational ass, but he's being framed, at least in this chapter, as more of a villain than I think he should, in fairness, be. Because he's asking perfectly reasonable things of our heroes. It's like, point number one. Well, Dumbledore believes him, therefore you should too. Dumbledore says Voldemort's back, therefore it's true. He points out, only reason Dumbledore says he's back is because he trusts Harry. So let's just keep track of that. Like, fair point. That is true. Uh, Says that, you know, maybe you should tell us what happened to Cedric right now, because none of us have heard, and it's your main data point for what happened there. Also a fair question. We've been talking about that before, that... They should have got a, really gotten ahead of that one years, uh, you know, months ago. Now is a really great opportunity. Uh, fair to, uh, also, you know, him just saying, here's all the things Harry's done. We're here to see Harry do those, but you're telling us, no, Harry's not in the mood to do those. Dude, that's kind of why we showed up. What, what, what's, what? Spencer, you have so, very good points so far, but I feel like what you're leading into is Lucius Malfoy has done nothing wrong. Um, I fully and, expect, and has <laughs> has made only absolutely perfectly reasonable steps to ensure the appropriate education of his son, and actually is probably at this point not doing enough to ensure his children's safety. If you're deciding that Dumbledore is not to be believed, because this child or group of children have killed a professor. Yeah. Wipe the mind of another professor. Yep. We're educated by a known Death Eater. At least one. Uh, I think. At least one. Well, they're, technically they're two. Snape, they yeah. killed another one. Um, and uh, uh, then there's Barty Crouch, and all these are problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not going to go that far. Uh, <laughs> But I also fully expect that me defending Zachary Smith inevitably is going to mean in these books that he's like the one evil Hufflepuff. Like, they've already set up our characters don't like him. That probably means he's going to be an asshole the entire time in a way that gets increasingly intolerable. So there definitely is... Uh, so so book 11 is a musical called <laughs> Slytherin. I'm here for it. It's just purely a, a retelling of the books... From uh, Malfoy's point of view, Sarah, is there a Harry Potter musical yet? And if not, why not? Because that's a, that should be a thing. I don't, I don't know. I would pay good money for it. Although I do think that, like, I and now I have in my head that like this the Slytherin musical is all like Wagner um, <laughs> and takes place in the dungeons exclusively. Mm, and mm. I'm like totally here for it. Absolutely. Like, uh, <laughs> Among the people that are present, they've actually got some really useful people. I mean, Ernie McMillan, I'm pretty sure the guy actually wrote out a speech based on how just utterly stylized and wrote his delivery is, and even doing pauses for everyone to cheer and no one does. But still, kudos to you. You're trying to help. Sure. Susan Bones, though, is like, man, they want her close. This is a useful person to have present. Cause she, as she says, she is the niece of the woman that was on the, the wizen gamut, right? Yes, who was originally supposed to do, be the only one doing that hearing, right? Until it got mm-hmm. put in front of the whole shebang. Do we know who resigned from the Wizen Gamut? Am I just Wait, forgetting? Names, we do. Not, there were there were two names. Yeah, okay. there were two names listed, um, but I don't think we had much context for them. I think they were people that we um, saw earlier 
Yeah. This book as supporting Harry and Dumbledore. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. During the hearing, but right. I think that's kind of the only context we have for them, and it was not Susan Bones or Amelia Bones. Uh, but this also confirms a question I was having that was lingering about. I wonder whether those hearings are confidential. Well, that question's answered now. You just tell your niece all, all of what happened when they went down. Um, I also. This has been building for a while. His friends were trying to do this. This also became one of the key chapters of everyone in the room tries to convince Harry he's the protagonist. Of where his friends have been doing it for ways that, dude, what you've been doing isn't normal. None of the rest of us have been doing this. You're kind of the hero. And in this chapter, everyone just kind of lays out, uh, you did defeat that dragon basically solo. You remember that, right? Yeah? Okay. Uh, there was also the Dementors. You totally soloed that one. Bravo. Uh, basilisk. Let's not forget the basilisk. You stabbed it. That went well. Harry's still not fully convinced, but I think eventually if we ask him just to read the books himself, maybe he will realize that, eh, okay, maybe I have some skills that could be useful to the broader community. Uh, If nothing else, he has actually, and I think that this is kind of the point that ends up getting him, because he will still, I think, argue that a lot of those have to do with luck. Although I think there is more skill there than he's than he's willing to admit, um, but he will kind of come to the conclusion I think that it's like, well, I have at least been there and seen these things, so I can I, I can survived. at least describe what's going on, right? Yes, he, he, I mean being the last man standing itself has useful value. Mm-hmm. Is that even if you believe you contributed nothing to that, you still experienced it, and even yeah. that recounting can be useful. I think that he's um, going to be a lot more prone to doing some of these lessons and talking a little bit more, given Cho Chang's excitement about oh. some of his, mm. the things that mm-hmm. he's done. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Hermione's uh, acknowledgement therein to, to maybe deflect a little bit. And also, the whole Ginny sub- subplot is interesting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things of where, I mean, I could have called out Ron's reaction from a mile away. It's oh, just so frustratingly stereotypical. That <laughs> it's also, you're one of the most British descriptions of a person ever. Uh, Ron asks, who is she dating? And Hermione's response is, the dark one. It's like, that is not a descriptor we'd necessarily <laughs> use in this country to describe which of the three people it was. Maybe he's just black Irish. <laughs> Maybe. I well, think that's probably what's meant here, but it certainly has a different connotation. I mean, well, but here it, it would be very weird for her to say it, given that she's black. So only in certain adaptations. Well, supposedly, according to the author, has the author come out straight and said that she's black, or just said that mm-hmm. it's an okay interpretation? She has come out and said that. I think I think that she said at one point that she intended her. I could have that wrong. I, it point, it I was don't. kind of like. It, well, there. Why would you assume that she isn't? I mean, all I said is that she has like frizzy curly hair right and it it was a problem i mm-hmm. and what in terms of other things with hermione i love hermione's doubt that heliopaths exist because among the strange magical creatures we've already had in the universe fire spirits don't feel that far out there really but Mm-mm. line in the sand do not exist i'm dismissing all personal accounts that have ever identified them which is delightfully hypocritical when their main you know rallying point to the room is Harry saw this. You have to trust Harry. Mm-hmm. She doesn't see this. anything hypocritical with that. But I feel like Luna Lovegood just made a little like check mark in her mind about. I'm gonna call that a win for later. 
I mean, the other side of this is Hermione has probably tried to read every source and Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't think they exist. Point me to a good source. And, and this is probably more what this is, except she doesn't want to get derailed. Um, she doesn't want to get derailed and Harry by no definition comes across as a good source either. If you're trying to make that line of argument. Yes. Uh, I do agree with that though. Interestingly, I am very curious what's going to happen because of the the weird horse thing. Mm, that that still needs to play out because yeah, that's a sudden endorsement of a lot of what Luna Lovegood says is in the universe, but just nobody else can see. It's like it's totally there. It's just you're not able to be aware of it. Ah, uh, let's see here. Writing everyone's name down reminded me of a scene from The Wire. Of where Stringer Bell turns to an associate <laughs> and says, are you taking notes on a criminal fucking conspiracy? It's like, why would they do this? Why would they create this? It's like, we're going to all swear we're going to do this right now. And that's going to be binding. It's like, does the writing make it better? Well, does the writing make it... It makes it better for Harry. It's an endorsement of Harry. Sure. Well, it's but... also a way by which they'll all go down with him. So right. I suppose that's so, supportive. But more than, so more than that, it's it gets harder for Harry to get singled out again and harder for, you know, any individual person, namely Hermione or Harry to get singled out by Umbridge to take the fall here. I mean, honestly, like Harry's going to be take the brunt no matter what. And he is teaching the class, but it, it presumably, I mean, any other adult looking in at what happened here is going to be like, what are you doing? Why are you only punishing Harry? Because that's 100% what's going to come of this is Harry's going to get punished for it, but it's it should alert other people to what's going on. So you're basically endorsing a Benjamin Franklin read on the situation of we must, we must, we must assuredly hang together or we will most assuredly hang separately? I mean... Harry is going to hang. It's just a question of <laughs> what everybody is going to be yeah. doing around this hanging. Yeah, that, that, that's the ultimate flaw in the theory is that it works under the idea that if we all work together, the odds are diminished of all of us individually hanging. Umbridge don't care. Umbridge don't give a shit. Umbridge nope. will happily hang all of you as a message of encouragement to the rest of the student body. And I think this is sort of where the McGonagall part comes in. She's definitely mm. not going to be okay with them using her classroom, but she's also probably not going to be okay with Harry, I don't know, having to write I'm an evil wizard on his back, which is yeah. probably going to be the punishment of, you know, or something along those lines. I mean, Harry's going to eventually start wearing Darth Vader gloves because he's so proud he's not going to let anybody know that he's actually <laughs> scarred in this manner. Um, I'm also completely with you when you read on what Hermione was intentionally doing with respect to the show information. Pretty much that entire ending was Hermione deftly guiding her two friends where she wants them to go. Mm -hmm. Getting in the information about Ginny, both that she's dating somebody, but also totally not into Harry. And also, you know, getting Harry more fully invested in this process by saying, not only was Cho there, but did you see the eyes that she was making on you? Mm, mm, mm. And it works, and of course it works. I would be utterly just, you know powerless before that maneuver at Harry's age even now. <laughs> uh, so, Armani, kudos, well read on the situation, masterful manipulation of your peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sarah, who won and who lost this chapter when we've got 25 extras thrown into the next? Yeah, so I, you know, I am feeling 
we actually had a, a couple of different people have really good chapters. Um, mm. Hermione, I think, had a very good chapter. But I am, I am feeling that Harry needs a win. Um, he has been coming in not particularly well. And I, I think things went really well for him this chapter. Um, people, can, people want him to, to teach them. Uh, he got sort of boosted up on the things that he is able to do. People seem mm-hmm. to be listening to him and interested in what he was saying. And, um, you know, there's the Cho thing. So <laughs> his, his biggest negative the whole chapter was that there was a guy there that was vaguely, you know, questioning and confrontational. That's it. Everything but he else had was a just bunch pretty much of people on his side shouting yeah, him yeah. down. Um, which I think is pretty cool. And he and he eventually was converted enough to at least put his name down. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was. I think is a pretty big win. Mm-hmm. I think so. so I, I'm I'm with you, Sarah. This this, is, this seems like a straight up series of wins for Harry, particularly the end note. The ending moment for Harry is the high, from his perspective the highest he's been all book. Throws him over the top. I mean, is um, he going to have a high point this high for the rest of the series? And I'm going to guess no. <laughs> I'm gonna guess that this is the high point of the series. I mean, we're not counting like the the last chapters of the and everything is fine enough. So, I think this is gonna be the high point of the series. Could be. Mark it down. <laughs> Predictions from BJ. Reality has a way of disappointing, doesn't it? It's all downhill from here. Yep. Um, losers actually a little bit harder. Um, this chapter. I mean, I think that we could, we never actually see Umbridge. Um, yeah. Although I, I would think that, you know, just the mere formation of this group is sort of problematic to her as evidenced by all of Hermione's machinations to have her not learn about it in the first place. Mm. Um, she's really not in the chapter though. No, she's not in the chapter. And not Uh, even like her presence isn't in the chapter. Like her, effort to be a presence in the chapter doesn't really yeah. exist. I mean, because we had really like... Pers- a, like a specter over Right, she's not like writing letters or whatever else. Yeah, where, yeah. Um, He's not directly seen, but whoever the local health inspector is has been clearly failing at their job if the, <laughs> help, the hog's head can still be allowed to exist and sell food and drinks. Maybe it's the other patrons at the hog's head who have to deal with this teenage bullshit. <laughs> when yeah. they literally true. just wanted a drink. Their quiet corner pub got commandeered by these bastard teenagers coming in with their causes and things. Yeah. I would be annoyed as all hell. This, the scene at this at at the Hogshead reminds me of uh, there was a, a slightly weird episode of Mash where they bring Radar into an officers' club and he orders a grape knee high, and they're just like. What on earth is going on? I imagine that the ordering of the butterbeer in Hogshead was just like there. There is no dusty when they were pulled out. There um, is no actual way that he had twenty five of them. Like I think he might have had to like send somebody over to the three broomsticks to like get them. And they're just like, no, we're not going to supply you with anything useful. He's just like, I don't care. Do you have some castoffs from before before Voldemort was in power? I mean. This is this is the why why spam is a part of Hawaiian cuisine type <laughs> uh, butter beers like it was just left mm-hmm. there for for you know rations from a previous wizarding war or something. It, it, yep. 
I, I, I'm willing to say that this is our loser of the chapter because now that we're laying this out, these guys had a real shit day with all these kids coming in and invading their space. This is like, you know, they actually got caught in the middle of a Harry Potter flash mob. And it's a, not a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah, they had a plan. And uh, their day did not go according to said plan. So I am going to give it wholesale to the patrons of the Hawkshead. <laughs> Losers of the chapter. Done. Support it. That, that would be kind of maybe the greatest thing uh, to drive people insane is find the coffee shops where all the aspiring writers are going. And then, <laughs> you know... Have some places possible. Yeah, have some sort of you know send like high schoolers there or like um, the high school musical kids because they're oh, they're God. they're just oh. going to be like practicing whatever song that that they're gonna need to perform. It's not really gonna be on you know it's gonna be mostly on key. They're not gonna be as quiet as they think they are. That's what this was and. It's pretty hilarious. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's making my eye twitch thinking about it. Um, <laughs> questions. When you vanish something in Transfiguration, does it come back? Doesn't need to. Just because they're talking about vanishing a lot of mice and kittens, and I'm just want to making sure that there are still mice and kittens after the uh, little process is over. Yeah, I think you have to bring them back. <laughs> They didn't specify. They just specified that they'd successfully vanished them. And so I want you to confirm, Sarah, whether it's true or not, that they come back, please. They're not drowning. It's fine. McGonagall came, comes in afterwards and reappears them all. Do, do they go to a farm upstate? Yes. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate uh-huh. this now. Uh-huh. Has Hermione said Voldemort before? I feel like she had to have, but, like, I can't remember... It was in the last chapter. In the last chapter? Okay, and that was... It was the first time, yeah. Yeah. She's getting real uh, real quick with this F, with this V-bomb. With the V-bomb? Yeah. <laughs> in terms of overall uses, she's jumping up the list of characters who've used this name the most in these books. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like with four uses in two chapters, she may be in the top five. Which is interesting because I think we've sort of posited that Harry has a relationship that is maybe a little bit protected from Voldemort's uh, gaze of Sauron. Mm-hmm. And it feels like Hermione might not be in that coverage because it, okay, so I think we talked about Speak of the devil. Dumbledore having, Dumbledore's Dumbledore and Voldemort's not going to be like, all right, well, I'm tuning in and because Dumbledore do- doesn't give a shit and he's probably a little afraid. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like the people surrounding Harry, it gets a little less of a good idea for them to do this, maybe? Well, I think it, you know, it gets a little tricky if we're trying to suss out if um, there's like an actual sort of Eye of Sauron thing going on with Voldemort and his name, because it's a lot of sort of rumor and conjecture about how Voldemort is able to... Um, it, it does Voldemort actually, like, name. react with his name. Yes. Is it superstition or is it actually right. science? And so I think that, you know, Hermione, when presented kind of at the end of the last book and now in the sort of opening chapters, first quarter or so of this book, with all of the evidence that, or with the argument that fear of the name increases the fear of the thing itself, she mm-hmm. has now taken that as like, well, I'm not 
We, Conscious we, effort. We have got to move past that. Yeah. Saying um, it in a group of impressionable middle school, high schoolers might not be the best way to destigmatize it. I I don't know. Hermione's not the most subtle person, honestly. I mean, her way of freeing the house elves is just to trick them into getting clothes. This is how Hermione do. Yep. Uh, the An odd little thing, just to make sure that we actually, whether we're supposed to remember it or not, Harry specifically says that the barman looked vaguely familiar to him at the Hogshead. Should I remember who the barman is? You should remember that, yeah. Okay, should I look back so I remember, or should I just remember going forward that that's important that he's vaguely familiar? I, I think it's enough to remember that he's vaguely familiar. Gotcha. We'll mm-hmm. keep track of that. I uh, feel like he probably has had dealings with Hagrid that Harry has either seen <laughs> or been adjacent to. Um, th- th- this or is been adjacent to the creatures that have emerged from said dealings. <laughs> yeah, that that's sort of my, the... my gut reaction as to what might have happened previously, if anything did. This is the cloaked figure that just keeps getting dragons and blast-in scroots into the school? <laughs> All right, possible. Uh, I got one more. Um, we haven't specifically said that, but I think it's Hermione, that, well... They'll totally be able to know that Sirius isn't a Death Eater because he doesn't have the mark of a Death Eater. Uh, or something along those lines. It brought up the question of that it seems that at least for like the Uber supporters, they have the mark the Death Eater's mark on them. Mm-hmm. Is do all supporters of Voldemort have that? Because it seems like it would otherwise be easy to tell who was mind controlled yeah. and who wasn't. Well that was no, the whole thing the... in the last book. Yeah, so this is like the Death Eater supporter yeah, of Voldemort inner circle yeah thing again right if you if you it's only if you're a death eater that you have the mark that Voldemort will call you with um and that is that sort of select circle and I thought that was also a little like reverse Batman signal where I guess my impression was it wasn't readily detectable when Voldemort wasn't around or correct like calling yes. people D- yes. does it physically disappear when he's not around like, does it I actually think, reemerge on you? I think so, yes. Um, okay. It's it's a little unclear if it goes, compl- it, like, if during the 11 intervening years of Voldemort not being physically present, um, if it completely went away or not. Um, because we had those whole scenes in book four with Snape and Karkaroff um, discussing how it was getting stronger but they never really said if it was gone at any point or not. So sure. it's, you know, that's a little difficult. They might have, you, you might be able to tell that there was a tattoo of some sort of symbol there yeah. at some point. Uh, yeah. But it's not sort of like emblazoned there anymore. Yeah. That makes sense. That sounds right. All right. Other questions? Anything else? That's all for me. I think. Uh, Easy enough chapter. Yeah relatively straightforward i feel like there were probably okay. gonna be things uh interestingly enough somebody remembers that there was a sword that killed the uh i want to say cockatrice but it was basilisk. the other basilisk um it was the other one that that causes problems that way um <laughs> somebody else remembers that godric's sword is a thing but mm-hmm. i'm also trying to remember if anybody observed these things which was kind of like a weird thing to talk about and again, sort of feeds into the, is Lucius Malfoy doing anything wrong? Um, and I feel like at some point, this is 
this is something that I kind of want to reconcile as, as we go forward in the books with a other than Hermione, Ron, and Harry, who knows anything about what's going on? Well, I mean, to use the example of the Basilisk, Ginny was there. She was just unconscious, I think. Mm-hmm. And then right. there was also Fox, who we all know is just the biggest gabber in, the, in terms of the entire series. <laughs> but does, does, does he maintain himself through the ashes? I believe so. Okay. I believe that there's like a consciousness that continues on. Okay. There's a continual Fox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a some sort of core of Fox that continues forward. Something of Fox passes on. Yes. Um, but really, it's it's Voldemort who's there. Right. Hmm. Right. I, I guess that, that's sort of... three when it's Sirius and Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. Yeah, with the examples they mentioned, other than the, the Harry defeating the dragon, Voldemort was the one constant data point in all of the examples cited. Mm-hmm. And if somebody else has outside verification through Voldemort, that's that's sort of even crazier. Mm. I mean, honestly, yeah. like if if Lucius has the information of what has happened in Voldemort's presence, it's not better for Harry. No. He, he's still a crazy-ass wild card that has to be dealt with it, mm-hmm. at Hogwarts. It's, it's, not, it's not that much better. No, it isn't. I'm going to keep well, up on uh, this. This, this, is, oh, this is the next version of, uh, you know... The Empire did nothing wrong? Oh, well, well sure. I, I, I guess that's one of them. Um, yes. But, but, you know, keeping track of where the owl is... Uh, you know, we have a couple of things that, that I think are going to be interesting. Key data points. You keep track of this, BJ. You do In have the theories. meantime, yes. <laughs> I'm excited to look at what our next picture is for Chapter 17. There yeah, are some so really fat fingers, and I don't is, like them. Uh, chapter 17 is Educational Decree number 24. It, is someone reaching out of the flue of the fire? There's a hand <laughs> in the fire, and it it looks like... It's emerging. It, um... It's not coming up either. It looks like it's coming just out of the brick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it kind uh, of looks like if Uncle Vernon had like nails, this would be the say, hand. It looks like Aunt Marge's hand. Yes. Mm. Uh, that, that's true. There's like, there's like rings and are those painted nails there too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like to me. And they are meaty. Oof. And, and our, <laughs> name, our name of our chapter, I believe we had educational decree number 23 previously, is the yes, last that one that was, was the, entered. the so. Hogwarts High, High Inquisitor. So the question is, so. what's 1 to 21? The, those took a thousand years to come about. Yeah. We don't even, uh, do we know that there have been previous educational decrees? Well, we do have the decree for... Um, we have 22 and 23. Um, well, we what, have the decree what? for the restriction of underage magic. Oh, okay. That is a decree. So I think okay. that there are... I didn't know if we that was a decree that or that was like ones. another ministry rule, but okay. Uh, it's unclear. Um, my, I, I think it's probably one. I, th- I think it's probably in the education. One of those sort of 22 or whatever. Gotcha. Given the, given the amount of pushback that Fudge got, I would kind of like to believe that in the last 500 years of the ministry, there really have only been like 23 of these. And mm-hmm. so it's just shocking it's that he's done rare. like four. Yeah. Okay. Well, y'all, I'm, this was quite a bit of fun. I'm very much excited for the next chapter. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it next time. Yeah, it's been fun, guys.